The podcast you're about to listen to may contain random lines from musical theater, terrible attempts at regional accents, and a sincere discussion about mental health. You have been warned. Are you ready to start singing with your feet? Formidable! Allez, c'est parti! Juste dans la joie Une joie profonde Nos cœurs, elle inonde Cette joie, elle vient du ciel Non, nous ne sommes pas fous Welcome to Sing With Your Feet. My name is Lily Field, and I'm going to be your fairy godmother for the next half hour or so. I'm going to take a little moment of personal privilege for a second to say happy birthday to me. I told you a few weeks ago that I would soon be blowing out 46 candles on that ever-growing birthday cake and never one to miss an occasion to celebrate something, I'm doing it here too. I was always that person who loudly announced that my birthday was coming up. Come to think of it, my sister Poppy, whose birthday is towards the end of the month of June, she would do the same thing. And for her, the rest of the month of June was just a build-up to the most important day of the year. I learned from the best when it comes to this kind of thing. Now, remember from the earliest days of the podcast, I have been extolling the virtues of celebrating things. Little things, big things, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that we take the time to reap a small benefit of pleasure from our accomplishments. My family is a celebrate-everything kind of family. It takes very, very little to send one of us to the local superette to pick up a pint of Ben & Jerry's peanut butter cup ice cream, like one of my kids waking up at 6.30 a.m. instead of the usual 5.05 a.m. is one of those things. So if we like to celebrate little things like that, then you can imagine what a birthday celebration might be like at our house. You may remember from episodes past, but I'm not much of a cook. I can feed us passably, but there is nothing I make that any of my children remember with much fondness. Or never will they one day demand that their partner learn how to do mom's secret recipe. Food isn't really a comfort thing around my house, it's more of a survival thing. But one thing, the only thing that I do well is bake a birthday cake. I've used the same recipe for as long as I can remember, and that's at least since we've lived here in France and we no longer have access to Betty Crocker cake mixes. Yep, I bake a cake from scratch, not to brag or anything, using real eggs and everything. I also make my own frosting. I know perfectly well that it would not hold its own against a tub of Betty's cream cheese frosting, but it is what it is. I make it, my kids like it, end of story. So. My birthday started quietly at 4 o'clock a.m., as my mornings always do, sitting out on the couch, listening to the gibbons, these weird monkey creatures that get up as early as I do. Those monkeys, they live at the zoo that's up on the hill here in town. You can hear them all through the city when it's real quiet. These gibbons have these crazy strident cries that remind me of an audible version of a barber's pole, if that makes any sense at all. So what was funny on this particular birthday was that for some reason, the lion, again, who lives up at the hill here in the town, he was clearly inclined to not be forgotten about. And at several different points, started his ritual roaring, which is this deep, scary, 
rhythmic growling sound. I sat there quietly with my coffee in hand, listening to the sounds of the morning and allowed myself to imagine that the animals were up there on that hill wishing me a happy birthday. That's fairy godmother thinking for you. The kind that has you thinking that something unusual that is mildly pleasant that happens on your birthday, well, that's happening because it's your birthday. What is it about it being my birthday that makes those things feel more special? I'll never be able to put my finger on the magic that is in the air on my birthday, but it is something that I treasure with all my heart. Always have, always will. A few weeks ago, I shared with you something that happened when we first came home from vacation, a a morning when I had been home alone, working on the things that bring me joy and fulfillment and a sense of peace. And my men came home in a huff. I was so jealous of my sense of peace that I shut them all down, refusing to let them complain or to bring me down from the seventh heaven to which I had ascended. It's hard to maintain that kind of jealous protection of our peace over the long term, but for some reason, I find this easy to do on my birthday. This actually is kind of related to our theme for today, which is learning to appreciate the little things. But I don't want us to start talking about it without me admitting to you that it really is a challenge to keep up the attitude which allows us to notice the little things. It's a challenge, but it's worth it. And it is worth doing more than just once a year on our birthday. Point of personal privilege has ended. Now let's get on with the show. We're smack dab in the middle of a series of episodes about savoring. Savoring, it's that that thing that most of us wish we did more regularly, taking the time to appreciate the little pleasant moments that might otherwise go unnoticed. Something simple like the way your laundry smells when you fold it to put it away, or the way your teeth feel so fantastically smooth after you brush them, or something more complex like the feel of your sweetheart's cheek against yours and the sweet sensation of wholeness when you're in each other's arms. We've been saying that learning to savor can combat one of the most significant woes of our lifetime, namely, the time flies so darn fast. Savoring is like taking a mental picture of a moment of our day, but with all of our senses, and it becomes something that draws us into the present unlike any digital photo ever will. We talked about how we can savor a moment in advance, too, through anticipation, and that by doing this, we're making the joy of a positive future event last longer. And last week, we talked about how people-pleasing is the enemy of savoring, namely, because a people-pleaser is always looking for ways to fulfill another person's wants or needs, and therefore deprives themselves of the experience of the small pleasures of life. Knowing what we want and what we need and being willing to pursue small, perhaps insignificant steps towards those wants and needs fills us with tiny little bursts of satisfaction that last longer than any dopamine hit from someone else's approval ever will. This week, our topic is the little things. One thing that has been weighing heavily in my mind lately, for reasons that I will probably share with you in a few weeks, is how can I bottle up the positive experiences of my life today so that I can enjoy them in the future when, or if, 
my circumstances should change. So I want to talk about that. Part one, a monumental waste of time. I want to preface this with a mea culpa. Although I am one of the more prolific savorers that I know, I am by no means perfect at this. Savoring requires a certain amount of patience and a lack of rigidity that I don't always possess. Savoring the moments. When I have two kids to get out the door and an overflowing trash dumpster and a garage door that stubbornly refuses to open, the very thought that there might be something in there to savor sounds patently ridiculous. And on the other side, when my children who are, may I say this in all objectivity, phenomenal, world-class savorers decide that they want to stop and do what they like best, like, I don't know, test out the depth of a newly formed puddle on the sidewalk with their brand new shoes, I suppose that savoring can feel to me like a monumental waste of time. So, mea culpa, I am not always great at this, but I try really hard to catch myself when I start to think that something is becoming a waste of time, because I can imagine that to my children, when I'm standing underneath a tree after a rain and I'm sniffing repeatedly trying to figure out where that deliciously damp licorice fragrance is coming from. A fragrance that reminds me of the playground when I was in kindergarten at Normandy School in Bay Village, Ohio. And I swear that it is coming from that tree right there in Mulhouse, France. My kids, yeah, they probably think that I'm wasting their time too. And maybe I am wasting their time. Maybe I am wasting my time and maybe they are wasting their time with puddle jumping, and maybe they are wasting my time with their puddle jumping. But when it comes down to it, I would rather be wasting my time on those things than wasting my time on Instagram or on Twitter or whatever it's called now. It comes down to how I budget my time-wasting activities. Speaking of wasting time on social media, somehow... My TikTok algorithm decided that I should be shown a lot of videos about... Remember, TikTok decided that I needed this. I did not go looking for this, right? So there have been a bunch of videos about rug cleaning, sewer unclogging, and paint peeling. I know this sounds absurd, and it is absurd, but I find these videos intensely satisfying. Imagine there is this white painted garage. It's pristine. A guy puts down this brown flat thing that looks, I guess, like a rug, and he gets out a hose, a really powerful hose, and he starts spraying down this brown thing. Rivulets of filth drain across the white painted floor. By moments, you can see color appearing on the rug, and then he shampoos the rug. And by the end of a two-minute video, the rug is recognizable. It's clean. It's colorful. It's perfect. It's really surprisingly satisfying. And then there's the sewer unclogging videos. They're, they're less produced, but they are nonetheless satisfying. But the ones that have been getting my juices flowing lately are the paint peeling videos. The ones where there's a half inch of paint being scraped back and there's a curly Q shape of the paint forming on the edge of the knife. Oh, it's just so wonderful. As you may remember, I have theories about all kinds of things and the paint peeling videos have helped me articulate one of those theories in a new way. And since you are a captive audience, and as one internet poet said once, 
Lily Fields had some pretty epic ideas. Here's our chance to test that out, shall we? It's about comfort being the enemy of joy. Let me say that again. Comfort is the enemy of joy. Now, let's not start getting argumentative right off the bat and saying that the two can coexist. Remember, this is a theory, and we are taking it out for a test drive together today, okay? And I am talking about this not for people who are experiencing real, genuine oppression, illness, poverty, or discomfort. I'm talking about people like us, you, me, the other Cinderella's, who have what we need to get by, maybe even more than we need to get by. I'm talking about people like us whose experience with hunger is maybe a little grumble in our belly around 11.50, which we will quickly satiate and forget about by 12.30. It's fabulous to have all of our basic needs met, and I wish for everyone in the world to have drinkable water, a place to live, to be able to go to bed well-fed, and to have people around them who care for them. But let's be honest. Those of us listening to this podcast, we have those things and more. And our comfort has, in many ways, made us insensitive to joy. When materially we have everything we could ask for, there is no room for unexpected provision, no place for happy accidents. You might remember that I am an avid declutterer and I believe strongly in living beneath our means and with as little stuff as possible. And much of this can be demonstrated in those paint peeling videos. There's no way to know what is truly underneath all those layers of paints. If no one digs a razor blade under there and starts peeling, so it is with our comfort. In order to feel something, anything, when we have a lot of stuff and our lives are full of going here and going there, it has to be really dramatic in order to feel something. The little things of life, they can't get through all those layers. The choice to cut back on stuff and on activities makes us more sensitive to the little things. It exposes our original self and makes us more available to savoring. My father-in-law, when he sees our children being picky about meals or about toys, he often says, what these kids need these days is a good war. Yeah, he's only partially kidding, and I only partially disagree with him. Being in a world where we get everything we want whenever we want it makes us self-sufficing, although not necessarily self-sufficient. And it causes us to set these high standards for our entertainment, for our material things, for what we eat. And everything cannot keep getting infinitely bigger, infinitely better, infinitely more entertaining, infinitely more delicious. At some point, we have to peel back the layers and start over, finding pleasure in the things that already exist in our lives. I know this sounds like a refrain, the simplicity discourse that I won't let up on, but we just can't live a satisfying life on the back of excess. We have to choose to separate ourselves from the excess, sometimes making very, very hard decisions along the way in order to start savoring our lives again. 
Part three, decisions that benefit the little things. In our first season of the podcast, I remember sharing a story about just how hellish it was getting my boys out the door of our apartment and off to school in the morning. They were little at the time, and two years can make quite a difference in their autonomy and willingness to be helpful. Their new school is one that is across town. It's an easy drive, and on a good day, it takes about 10 minutes. The drive requires us to take a tunnel that goes underneath the length of the train station, which is admittedly kind of fun, but also can lead to immense traffic jams should there be the slightest problem inside that tunnel. So a 10-minute drive can end up being 25 minutes in no time flat. This year, the school changed its start and end times, and the first day of school, I was confronted by what this would mean for the traffic situation in the tunnel. And I decided that for my own sanity, I would be foregoing traffic at that time of day. This meant that we had to find a different way to get to school in the morning and to get home in the evening. Our boys are hardy fellows, so I decided that we would be riding our bikes. It is a checks watch, 22 minutes trip one way. Yes, this is longer than the car trip on a good day, but there are never traffic jams on the bike path. And what is more, riding our bikes means that we get more opportunities to savor. My hardy little scalawags would easily race one another to school, but never would we get there any faster than 22 minutes. The 22 minutes accounts for crosswalks, diggers working on the pedestrian streets, and the tramway that crosses our paths numerous times on the way. Our city is undergoing a bit of downtown transformation right now, and a few of the through streets that used to be for cars are being dug up and turned into pedestrian alleys. The idea is wonderful, since I never had any use for driving downtown anyway, but the construction can be deafening and annoying. So knowing that it takes us 22 minutes to get to school, rain or shine, I started challenging the boys to notice something about the trip that they had never seen before. This has revolutionized our morning rides. Whether it is keeping tabs on the progress of the cobblestones as they're being laid by the workers, or noticing a flag in a window, or observing that there is a vista on the downtown cathedral through a building near the stadium, my boys are becoming devilish detail hunters. My camera roll on my phone is filled with random photos of things they asked me to capture. A bird skeleton here, or a tree trunk that looks like it's in the shape of a heart there. They fight less when they are savoring the little things. They're a team when they're savoring the little things. We are in so much less of a hurry when we savor the little things. The little things are a consequence, however, of a bigger decision. The decision to put aside the comfort of driving them to school every morning and to ride our bicycles instead. Riding our bicycles is peeling back the layers of paint and starting over fresh. And I'm going to be honest about this. I did not expect this little change to bring me so much joy. But let me tell you, it has been a source of immense, tremendous, fabulous joy. Part 4. 
count five heartbeats. At first, my youngest would tell me that my directive to notice something new was boring. I could understand why he would say that. I mean, he is a whirling dervish after all. But his brother played the game really well, and his brother said something that really motivated my little one. Just look at something you usually wouldn't notice, and then count five heartbeats. Think about it. When was the last time you noticed the beating of your own heart? Just take a second right now and count five heartbeats. Are you ready? Isn't that magical? I don't want to define what savoring might look like to you, but honestly, counting five heartbeats, it can't be a bad place to start. Look up at the fluffy white clouds. Count five heartbeats. Touch the petals on that flower. Count five heartbeats. Breathe in the smell of freshly cut grass. Count five heartbeats. The little things are those details we capture with our senses and trap them into our bodies by enjoying them. Those five little heartbeats lock the memories away in our hearts. It's a surefire way to slow down. And we all have my kid to thank for that. Part five, that gratitude thing. A number of years ago, it was a thing to do gratitude journals. Oprah got us started doing it, I think. I remember back in the halcyon days of Facebook, people would do a daily gratitude post. It would start on January 1st and be titled one, and be titled one out of 365. And then it would continue through the year that way, depending on the determination of the person who got it started. Gratitude is really a nice thing. And I think it is a really great way to peel back a few layers of paint. I mentioned self-sufficiency earlier, and I firmly believe that self-sufficiency is a hamper to our experience of joy. If everything we ever want or ever needed was something that we could provide for ourselves, then our worlds would be very small indeed, wouldn't they? Recognizing that there are things outside of ourselves, whether they are in our lives because another human being put them there or because they exist in nature, taking a moment to articulate that we are grateful for those things is a way to acknowledge that we cannot provide everything in this life for ourselves. I know a lot of people pleasers who struggle with gratitude, and I wish that I were smart enough to understand the link between the two. Maybe it's that people pleasers have a hard time receiving from others because they always feel like they need to be providing for someone else so they don't know how to react. Don't count on me for an answer to this, and if it describes you, then maybe you need to get some professional help to help you comb through it. Gratitude does not have to be tied to luxury. It doesn't have to be tied to material value. I want you to keep that in mind because it is just as possible to be grateful for your ratty old couches that have served you well as it is for the nice little smartwatch that tells you how you've, well you've been sleeping. Gratitude is a state of mind that acknowledges something outside of us that makes our life nice. I took that example of the ratty old couches because lately my boys have been on a kick akin to one that they were on during the COVID lockdowns. That is, they take the couch cushions off, push the couches together, and turn them into different kinds of vehicles according to their whims and their fancies. These couches, which cost us all of 40 bucks at the Salvation Army 12 years ago, are some of the most well-loved, versatile toys in our house and have provided hours, hundreds of hours of entertainment. Those are the little things that I want to remember and be grateful for because those couches really do make our lives 
better. Part six, the unexpected. There's this comic that my husband and I enjoy whose name is Brian Regan. He's one of those clean comics, but honestly, you wouldn't even notice because he's just that funny. There's a particular bit he does where he talks about words he never expected that he'd have to string together and address to another human being. He's obviously talking about parenting in this bit, and it is something my husband and I come back to time and time again. Most recently, I heard myself say to my children who had gotten out every single woodblock, every single Lego, every single little car that they own, and set up an immense battlefield in the middle of our living room. I had been tidying up in another part of the apartment, and I noticed I noticed a trail of little orange wrappers which looked familiar. I was pretty sure I was the only human being in the house who would have opened them, but I couldn't shake the feeling that this looked recent and intentional. Within minutes, I heard myself string together the words, Guys, can you please not use tampons as rocket launchers anymore? You can imagine the scene, I'm sure. It was a real act of the will to not get angry with them. Angry for being wasteful, angry for getting into my stuff. (sighs) Getting into my stuff has been a regular refrain lately since I found a vibrator having been spirited away into my youngest backpack for show and tell. He wanted to take my snake to school, you see, and because he had gone into a drawer he knew he was not allowed to go into and snoop around in, he knew that I would have said no. So he took it anyway. Anyway, long story longer, the absurdity of everyday life can leave us irritated and jaded if we let it. I mean, putting back together 24 tampons does not make my day. Moving furniture back to its normal spot does not thrill me, and the thought of my child brandishing a vibrator at show and tell does not make me feel confident as a parent. (laughs) However, if I'm willing to articulate the absurdity of these random little things, I can turn the unexpected into a moment to savor and maybe even laugh about. Maybe. So let's conclude. It's the little things that make up the contents of our days. I mean, if we look at our calendar, we'll see the big things, the job interviews, the doctor's appointments, the birthday parties. What we don't see are the multitude of the transitions between activities, or the meals we had to prepare, or the times we had to put on our shoes, or oh, the times I have told my children to put their shoes on. How hard would it be? And I'm asking myself this question too, Cinderella, to try to find those little multitudinous, unremarkable moments find in them something that brings us joy. You know, I was thinking about how just a minute ago, I stepped in a tray of Legos that my eldest had carefully put aside for building the engine of his Bugatti something or other. And he had kindly asked me for the tray to put the pieces in. He was opening only one bag of Legos at a time while he built. He was doing everything right. And then me, lead foot that I am, I stepped on the edge of the tray and everything went flying. And I think I said a few bad words. And somewhere in that, I am asking myself to find joy. Luckily, the child was not home to see it or to hear my barrage of lovely words. Luckily, I can let it sit there until I'm good and ready to do something about it. But I do not want to go grumbling through the putting away of those Legos. I want, in spite of the boredom and the time waste that is before me, I want to find joy in it. So here's my plan. I'm going to put on a song 
that I really like. I'm thinking like No Rain by Blind Melon or, oh, Two Princes by the Spin Doctors. Oh, oh, Mr. Jones by Counting Crows. Songs that I haven't listened to in forever. And I'm going to turn the putting away of a million little Lego bricks into something that will bring me a tiny bit of joy. So what about you, Cinderella? What is the little tiny thing that is certain to rob you of your joy today? And how can you turn it around into something that can actually make you smile? What are the elements of your day that could be rearranged or rethought so that you could start appreciating the details of it? How could you start falling back in love with the details of your life? Your home, your city, your car, whatever it is that you have become desensitized to. Think about those things, Cinderella, and we'll meet up again next week to talk about why falling in love with ourselves might just be the holiest thing that we will ever do. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I want to give a great big thank you to Seven Productions here in Mulhouse, France for the use of the song La Joie is the intro and outro to the show, to Claude Equay who wrote it, and to Matt Kugler who sang it. This is your fairy godmother signing off. Just remember now, it is never too late to start singing with your feet.